are living your story right now in this moment. You know, no two stories are alike. We are all unique. We all have a different lens through which we see the world. We all have something to contribute, to share, to be. That uniqueness takes courage. It's not easy to stand in your truth. It's not easy to let yourself be vulnerable, to be really seen, to be really heard. So many of us hide. So many of us stay hidden. So many of us make the choice to step forward, to own who we are, to own our stories, to share our voice. The tide is turning. We're moving into a space of deeper vulnerability, courage, authenticity, and love. We're moving closer to greater self-love, self-acceptance, honesty, and empowerment. To get there, to get to that space, means we have to authentically share who we are. It means we have to authentically show up as our true selves. The magic is in sharing who you are. The magic is in sharing your story. That's where this series comes in. Own your voice. Love yourself. Stay true to your story. Dive deep into your vulnerability. Shine in your authenticity. Once you do, there's no stopping you. Stay honest. Stay brave. Stay true to who you are. Welcome to Seek the Joy Podcast, the power of storytelling. This is Zoe Wood recording for Seek the Joy Podcast with the story, The Healing Power of Friendship. Each time February comes around, Mother Nature reminds me of the events of two years ago, when this month began to mean something different to me. Before then, February was just a lightness of step after January's hibernation and December's excess. But now, when February comes and nature begins to warm the bright yellow mimosa trees into bloom, lining the streets again with their celebration, it will always remind me of two things. When I met her, and when I lost him. They say that the colour of rose which you should give to symbolise your friendship is yellow. It makes sense that yellow surrounded us during that February, because above all, it was a time of friendship. I met her in a meditation group. The room was already silent when I arrived late and took the seat beside her, but like schoolchildren, we whispered against the hush. We exchanged compliments. She noticed the honey-coloured stone I wore on my hand, once belonging to my grandmother. Later, as each group member took turns to introduce themselves and say a little bit about what was on their hearts, I learned that her name was Jacqueline. As she spoke, she sat poised like a dancer. Her words were courageously vulnerable and clear. As I listened, I felt the energy surrounding me rush upwards, like a waterfall travelling up towards the sky. It was as if our meeting or perhaps it was a reunion from another lifetime, was lifting me out of my seat and into flight. Another sister of magic, I thought to myself with an inward smile. We were both far from home then, 
having moved to Barcelona. She had ventured across the sea alone that winter from the USA, and I had arrived from England a year before. She related to the passion for healing and teaching work that was inside me, as well as the weight I felt that I was in many ways still preparing, unformed, unpatient. As often happens on unfamiliar soil, the process of becoming more ourselves was speeded up, sometimes painfully so. The events that were to come only weeks after our first meeting would only add fuel to this sacred fire. I have met a handful of people who have become like my family, but in my blood family, I grew up with one sibling, Daniel. 15 months older than me and a true friend, he was the one I could call in a crisis in the early hours of the morning, who would listen and laugh with me until I fell asleep again. A few weeks after I met Jacqueline, Daniel died of an overdose. I didn't expect it. I don't believe that he did either. He lived alone, but his flat was left orderly, except for a few dishes in the sink and some crumpled envelopes. His hope was written on a piece of paper in his living room, a blue ink reminder to himself, simply saying, I deserve to be well. The morning after I received the news from my family back in England, I was walking aimlessly through the streets of Barcelona. Through the shock and mental fog, the thought came that I probably shouldn't be alone. But as I scrolled through the names on my phone, the question of who to call was unanswerable. I silently asked Spirit for guidance. I don't know who to be with or what to do. Please send me what I need. I carried on walking into the shadowy streets of the Gothic Quarter and rounded a corner directly into Jacqueline. Her wordless hug held room for all of my pain. It didn't require me to speak or to be anything other than how I was in that moment. I didn't need to say any of the things that feel false in their inadequacy to express the experience of losing a loved one. Like, I can't believe he's gone or I miss him. She intuitively knew that just to be embraced was what I needed. She held the space generously and courageously, gifting me the safety to stand there breathing in raw emotion, without words that would have pulled me back up to the surface of social performance. That moment of unconditional love taught me so much and is in many ways the foundation of the work I do now. My job is guiding people in emotional healing, using breathwork and energy healing helping people connect to their power and truth. I use the same techniques I share with clients in my own life, retreating into a quiet place to breathe, to come back to my heart from my busy brain again and again. Sometimes, though, all it takes to heal is friendship. Those precious few friends who you only need to think about, to feel yourself filling up with love for them, with gratitude just for the fact that they exist. My brother Daniel was one of those people, and right from the start, so was Jacqueline. We bonded over bright, chilly mornings, drinking café con leche and eating croissants during the aftermath of Dan's death. 
She was the epitome of softness and strength. The steadiness of her love and her mischief both reminded me of him. After a while, it was hard to fathom that they had never actually met. In those early days, I often felt irrationally ashamed that I couldn't function with the grief. Once, I anxiously mumbled something to her about not being able to show up to my life. You're sad, she gently offered. You're just sad. Maybe the way to show up right now is to show up for yourself and for those feelings. That's enough. Though well into my twenties, the summer that followed had the feeling of an adolescent coming of age. In a way, grief fueled me, made me realise that there was nothing worse to fear. Perhaps, too, it was the first time that I had felt loved enough to push against the edges of life in a way that was creative rather than destructive. Having spent my teenage years largely numb, trapped inside a mask of compliance, pleasing adults, academic institutions, and the entitled men I chose alike. But with Declan that summer, there was a reckless edge to our joy, which made it shine even brighter. Our laughter was the laughter between children, goading each other on as siblings do. I felt down with us, saying, Who cares if things go wrong? And what could that even mean now anyway? Who cares what anyone thinks? I knew love, and everything else became a footnote. We moved out of the city together, to a village in the forest unknown to us both, largely because of the bright yellow of its mimosa trees and the melodic sound of its name, Floresta. At our new home, we confined discussion of mundane issues to house meetings cross-legged on a red blanket under the shade and supervision of the umbrella pine tree. We were almost always outdoors, climbing down a steep mountainside arms full of camping gear to spend the night sleeping on the beach, which turned out to be the home of clouds upon clouds of mosquitoes. We slept on the deck of a boat out to the island of Menorca, with nothing but stars and sea as we sat together, asking the unseen for guidance about our futures. Our friendship brought down walls I had built up inside me, Walls that said it wasn't safe to let other people help or to receive love. Once, in tears, and then feeling ashamed of my tears, I said, I feel like too much time has passed since his death to be crying like this. Zoe, she said, if you are crying like this in 10 or even 20 years from now, that will be okay, and I'll be here. Her acceptance was alchemy. Sadness lifted, just in that moment it was given full permission to be there. As I sit here now, the smell of blossom from the mimosa trees in their final days floats through the window, along with the sound of music played full volume by our neighbour across the road. Only he isn't our neighbour now, only mine. Jacqueline left when it was time, travelling back across the sea. Though not here in person, her presence remains everywhere. Her parting gift and dance 
was a lesson in the kind of love which endures all circumstances, unbound by time and space. What have you learnt about yourself from sharing your story? I learned that when I honestly share my story and write about love and healing in particular, it feels like casting a spell. It seems to invoke the power of those times and amplifies it, spreads it around. And the opportunity to tell it and even the existence of a platform like this, which gives people such freedom of expression, gave me that warm feeling of just being in the right place and at the right time. Um, To me, these are times where we're seeing the power that rushes in when we speak our truth and when we celebrate one another. Also, it was a reminder of just how much I love to write and especially to write about love. What is your biggest dream? My biggest dream? Well, since we said big, I'm going to be honest and say that my biggest dream would be for our planet to be restored to a place of light and love. On a personal level, it would be to look back on my life when I'm an old lady and be able to say that I experienced total fulfillment in my writing, healing and teaching work, a life with plenty of singing and dancing, sand between my toes, friendship, romance, and connection to spirit. Hello everyone, my name is Haley Cole. I am a spiritual coach, mentor, podcaster, and I thought that I would give you a little bit of background about my spiritual journey of how I got to be all of those things. So my spiritual journey started at a pretty young age, actually, for the first eight years of my life. My family was pretty Catholic. I grew up in a small town. Um, Unfortunately, sometimes that means it's also, you know, small-minded. But we went to church every Sunday. We practiced Catholicism, I guess you could say. Yeah, we did. And eventually it got to a point where I think my parents were kind of going on their own spiritual journey. No, they definitely were. (laughs) Um, They went on their own spiritual journey. And we're trying to figure out other, I think, ways of thinking and they just wanted to explore. And so as a result, my brothers and I kind of went on, we're along for the ride with them. And, uh, which was really, really cool because it was kind of like getting to see your parents in this, a whole other form of childlike wonder when you are also a child. So we got to experience all these things for the first time together, which was really cool. So uh, the first thing that I really, really remember that really flipped the switch was my, I was in third grade. So around like eight, my mom came home and she had a session with a shaman energy healer. And I was listening to what she was saying and I was like, this is so cool. She was talking about having a spirit animal and just the work that he did and the energy work on her. And it was really the first time we were ever really exposed to something like this. And so I thought it was really cool. So I asked if I could please have a session with him too. And she said, yes. So I went and had a session with him and I just remember going in and I thought it was so cool. Everything that he was saying just 
really felt right to me. You know, growing up, I, I, I am and was pretty intuitive. And at that point in time, you know, I didn't really understand what that really was or what it meant. And so it was like really the first time where I felt like somebody understood me uh, in a deep way that I hadn't really experienced yet in my life. And, you know, my parents are great. They're amazing, but they didn't know that stuff quite yet. So they didn't, I don't think really, they really just didn't understand, you know, how to exactly deal with that quite then. And so that was really the first time where I just felt, I, something just felt so right to me. And, I got my spirit animal. I thought this guy was super cool and did all this energy work on me. I left feeling so much better and I just wanted to learn as much as I could about what he was talking about. And, you know, as, as much as I could try and figure out, you know, at like eight or nine years old, uh, I tried to learn as much as I could. And eventually my parents met this feng shui master who came to the house. He also studied as a monk for a little while. And I think his official title, it's like Lama or Yama. I'm going to have to ask him. Um, but yeah, he, he studied for a monk as a little while as feng shui master. He's also a Reiki master, um, does a lot of healing work. And he came to the house and feng shui at our house, told my parents what to put where because of the way the energy was flowing and the way our house was set up and how certain things worked in certain areas, what area of the house was, held certain energy. And after that, my family became pretty close with him. We, he became a really close family friend of ours and would come to the house and stay for a weekend, sometimes a day because he lived pretty close and would teach my brothers and I kind of these little spirituality lessons. And so we learned all about how to meditate and all about energies and he talked about the fairies sometimes and sometimes aliens, which is really cool and different realms and dimensions and just how things worked. But it came from a very grounded place at the same time. So it just really resonated with me and it just felt so right. And I loved learning about it. It felt like the best version of school that I could possibly get because I didn't like the, I didn't love going to school. So this was like, I actually like learning about this stuff, which was really cool. And so from then I was about 14 and he actually started doing kind of these formal workshops and classes with people in the area. And he, at one point he taught uh, all about the chakras and how to see how one is blocked and if it's blocked, what to do to unblock it. And just what each chakra really functions and what's what energy holds and how to make sure the energy is flowing and the way how the auric field works. And there was one class about the ascended masters and gods and goddesses and, and who to call on for what and all about the angels and abundance and just all about and healing and how to work with and how to work with the shadow side of you, which is pretty much just kind of another way of saying you're, you're kind of wounded inner child that might need some attention <laughs> for healing. So he taught us all about that. And he's 
still in her life. He's coming to teach a class pretty soon. <laughs> and he, so he was an awesome, amazing person to have in my life at that time. And at 14, he attuned me to Reiki and started the, that process. And at 16, I became a Karuna and Usui Reiki master, which is an incredible energy to work with. I, a lot of people see, um, kind of the function of one-on-one healings, which is so, so true, but there's so many other ways to utilize it because it's such a loving and gentle, versatile energy to work with. And it can be used to set up a sacred space to clear out a space, to clear yourself out. I do working on myself all the time, um, to really help. I mean, it works with the chakras a lot. So really help with certain chakras and how to open them. When I podcast, I tend to work with um, the energy a lot just to make sure that my chakras are flowing and aligned and the throat chakras open and all that kind of stuff. So it definitely has been such an incredible thing to be able to pull from. And after that, so I was um, in high school at that time and, you know, kind of in my everyday life, I wasn't very open about this stuff. I, I felt weird anyway, and I felt like an outsider anyway, and I knew I didn't quite fit in. And so all of this other stuff on top of it, it just made it feel even more so. And the times I did try and kind of open up about it, it didn't always go great. And I felt like I didn't do it justice because at the same time, I was also going to see people like Ama, who, um, for those of you who don't know, she, she's a hugging Um, they call her the hugging saint. She goes around and gives blessings by hugging people and Sri Kunamai and Mother Mira and um, Derek, I got to meet Derek O'Neill and just these really amazing, incredible, very, very spiritual and enlightened beings. And so I didn't always quite know how to explain them to people either. And just the stuff I was learning too, it there was definitely a part of it where I was like, didn't, I was almost ashamed because I didn't, I didn't want it to be tainted. And it did feel so right to me that I was afraid if I explained it wrong or if I told somebody they would think it's weird, which even now looking back, I, I do think that's stupid, but I didn't, I was, wasn't open about it because I was so scared to really show who I was. And so I kind of just hid that part of me from the world and I wasn't that open about it. And as I went into my late teens and early twenties, so later high school into college, I think because I wasn't open with it, I, I didn't shut it off. I never shut it off. It was always such a huge part of my life, but I definitely kind of quieted it down a little bit. You know, I made pretty not great decisions. I got into pretty toxic relationship. Um, I developed an eating disorder. I put, got put on academic probation with the university because I let my grades slip so badly because my anxiety was through the roof. And I definitely had a little bit of depression and I did turn that around and I graduated fine and everything like that. And then when I did graduate, I was definitely drinking way too much too. And then when I did finally graduate, I had gotten a job that was about an hour and a half away from where I lived. So there was kind of this like a beach town, but it was really an island. 
And I moved to that and it was about an hour and a half away from where I grew up. And about a month after moving there, I was assaulted and that was really as hard as it was. It was also such a giant wake up call because I didn't even really want to get a bed out of the morning, but I wanted this job because I was only an intern really. And in order to do that, I had to at least pretend to be happy. And I tried for a little while, but you know, by the time I would walk out and get to my car, I was just so spent from pretending to be something I wasn't like I would, it was kind of like I was just this empty shell and just numb. And I remember getting to my car one day and just feeling like I was just done feeling this way. I, I was so ready to just get better and feel better. Finally, you know, it was kind of to the point where it was getting to years of really forgetting what kind of happiness felt like, you know, I would have spurts and moments of it, but never, it was never this constant thing. It was always pretty fleeting. And for the most part, I was just kind of numb or sad or angry or upset. And I just remember sitting there being like, you know what? I surrender. I just, I want to feel better. I see this person who I could be and I know that she's there and I know that it's completely possible for me to get to her. I just, I need to, I need to figure out how to do so. And that day I just, I started this very deep, deep healing process. And as a result, because I had all these tools to really draw from because of what I learned for so long, I was able to utilize them. And I would literally treat healing like it was my second job. I would get out of work and I would immediately go work out and do a workout that not only made me physically stronger, but also mentally stronger. And I would go home, shower, eat dinner, and then immediately go into meditation I would have a goal set during before the meditation to make sure that I tackled if something came up, then I would deal with it and work with that shadow self and that inner child that needed to be healed. I would do a deep dive into the chakras and figure out what trauma was caused them to be blocked and how can I get the energy flowing again. So it was just this very intense period of healing. And after I got out of the meditations, I... I didn't let myself watch TV during the week. I only let myself journal or read. And if I read something, it had to be a high vibrational book. So it had to be something that contributed to healing in some way or taught me something. So it was about a year and a half of this and it worked. You know, there were some days where, of course, I just, I had to release. I cried. I screamed in my car because I didn't know what to do with the pain I was feeling sometimes, but you know, it did work. And it was because I had these tools that I learned when I was younger. I was so, so lucky. And I remember getting to the other side of it. And during this process, I kind of dawned on me of what my purpose is here, or at least part of it, because I do believe we have multiple. And that's really what jumpstarted me starting a blog and really helping people along their spiritual path because I know how 
how grateful I am to have that person in my life that I wanted to be that for somebody else and give them the tools to be able to utilize in their everyday lives and to use my voice and not be ashamed of who I am or what I believe in or what I can do to help people. Cause that's really all I really want to do. You know, I think that's, we're all here to experience joy and love and light and to serve and to learn some things along the way. And that I know that my experiences so far can really, I hope help somebody else. And if there is somebody who is, you know, where I was and when I was sitting in my car, you know, it, you're not alone in this. It's, it's so worth it to commit yourself to being that person that you see, even if that person is far away. And so just know that you are loved and you are loved. So you deserve everything good in the world. Thank you so much for listening to my story. Hello, everybody. My name is Abby Griffith, and I am so, so excited to be featured in the Power of Storytelling piece today. I am currently living in Atlanta and in the process of opening a gym called Clarity within the next year. Time still TBD. We like just signed the lease, so it's super, super early, but we're on our way. <laughs> and right now I am a personal trainer and have started an online business with all things fitness coaching, nutrition coaching, and really dive into the importance of appreciating your body while you're going through all of this. So I believe that when you care about your body and love yourself and want to be happy and healthy for as long as as possible, everything works itself out instead of how normal fitness industry people go about doing it, instead of punishing yourself, instead of making your body something that needs to be fixed or addressing a quote-unquote problem that is on your body, low stomach, underarms, whatever it might be that freaks you out, and just really checking out of that element and really checking into how important it is to take care of yourself and have fun with it and make it sustainable and enjoyable and all that good stuff. So that is my energy around all things coaching. Unfortunately, it did not come overnight that I had this mindset around all things health and fitness, so I wanted to take a minute to tell my story and explain how I got there. So it all started off in middle school when I was a chunky little chunkster and was super overweight, had to go through all of the horribly embarrassing and scarring healthy kids, healthy weight camps and all that jazz, force-fed peppers, all of those terrible things. So um, that was not fun. Don't recommend. 10 out of 10, do not recommend. And I ended up really seeing my body as something that was wrong with me and I wanted to fix it quote-unquote fix it and I wanted to be worthy of a boyfriend I wanted my parents to be proud of me I wanted to really just feel like I was good enough and I really really didn't at the time and I believed that changing my weight would change that for me so I went after it and I took off on my health and fitness journey 
I had a personal trainer at the time. I was again in like seventh grade at this point, so I didn't have my certification yet, but I got a trainer, got into working out and I really did like working out. I liked fitness. I liked being active and I normally wasn't active. I was pretty freaking sedentary. I was doing like the music thing and just not really big into moving. I was never one of the people that was big into sports in high school and middle school. I'm extremely uncoordinated, still am, LOL, but (laughs) that doesn't mean that you can't love fitness. So I uh, went through that and then moving into high school, I was really focused on weight loss still. So I ended up transferring in 10th grade to a boarding school where, hello, boys were a part of the picture and I just decided that I was going to lose all this weight. I was like, there's no way that I am going to be this new girl that's not the hottest of the hot. So let me drop some serious pounds here. And I ended up losing a bunch of weight, but I didn't do it in a sustainable or healthy or happy way. It was just grind, grind, grind. Like how much can I lose? How fast can I lose it? And I made it happen, but it wasn't in a way that was looking out for myself in the future and that backfired. So flash forward to senior year. At this point, I was completely obsessed with the compliments of like, wow, you lost weight. You look great, blah, blah, blah. All these things that are so socially acceptable. And I was restricting calories like crazy. I was working out like crazy. I was just trying to feel worth it. And it wasn't happening. And I was like, well, the answer must be losing more weight. But that didn't end up working out. And when I went to college... I, of course, gained the freshman 15. I think I gained, like, the freshman 25, you know. But that's what happens when you go from restricting, restricting to finally releasing some pressure and finally letting yourself go a little bit and not to freak people out that think that trying or forcing themselves to be less strict than they are means that they're going to gain 25 pounds. There's a thousand and one ways, including joining my coaching program, shameless plug, that, that can keep that from being the result of relaxing a little bit. But when you're just going from one extreme to the other and suddenly get fed up with feeling like you have to have so much rigidity around your workouts and around what you're eating and around all these rules of course you're going to go all in and eat everything and go overboard and drink everything when you're finally quote unquote allowed to. So gained all that weight, ended up having a really rocky relationship my freshman year in college. My now ex-boyfriend cheated on me and I blamed my weight gain for that behavior. Again, totally not true, but that's where my head went. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to lose all this weight. I'm going to be so freaking awesome and I'm not going to just lose the weight. I'm going to win a bikini competition. Oh my God. So here we go. I'm moving into this state of chasing after this ideal. And now I've made it a legitimate competition. And I unfortunately got paired with a terrible trainer and was doing all of the typical textbook overtraining things. I wasn't eating enough. I was training way too hard, way too frequently, way too long, and my body burnt out. And I was tired and I was exhausted, but I wasn't going to stop because I had this goal and I was so, so strict about it that it had to happen. There was no other option. So I 
was still going for this competition and unfortunately developed some serious, serious eating disorder behaviors. Um, I had disordered eating issues now that I'm more educated on what was going on. I had them since about high school with restricting calories, abusing teas and all of the clear you out kind of things. And then once I was in my junior year of college, I was full-blown anorexic and bulimic. So I ended up hiding it, and I was sure that I was in control of the situation. It was all fine and dandy as long as I said it was, and my friends caught me really partaking in not-so-healthy behaviors when we were actually on spring break. So talk about a plot twist of a fun time to a not-so-fun time. So I ended up getting sent into therapy. It was a whole thing, but I really feel like I took on therapy wholeheartedly and was aware of the fact that it was time to change. So I ended up developing my Instagram page, abbygriff.fit. That's A-B-B-E-Y-G-R-I-F dot F-I-T if you want to check it out. And it was really just my blog of my journey. It was a place for me to talk about how I continued to love fitness while going through eating disorder recovery, a place where I could really work through finding that happy balance of not being so extreme in the food rules and so extreme in the fitness rules and helping other people do the same. And it was a game changer. It was basically like a public diary and I loved it and it was so, so useful. I totally recommend it to anyone going through anything, whether you follow anyone that you know or not, just having it out there helped me so, so much. And being able to put together posts all the time helped me really process what I was trying to say and where I was going and my journey and progress and all that awesome stuff. So then from there, I decided to get my personal training certification and really educate myself about this fitness stuff. So what is too much exercise? What is not enough food? How can I find that balance and how can I still move in a way of being happy and healthy, but without overdoing it and without hurting the body that I'm trying really, really hard to learn how to love. And then in turn, I got my certification. I became a personal trainer and group exercise instructor at University of Miami down in Florida where I went to college. And then when I graduated, I started my online program. So I started doing um, my online fitness and nutrition training. And again, I'm not a registered dietitian, so no meal plans or anything, but just really helping people with their relationship with food and how they look at it, how to balance it, how to achieve their fitness goals in a happy, healthy way. And it was a total game changer. I feel like helping other people go through the same thing was again, a really useful tool for my own recovery too. And I totally recommend finding a community that you feel like you can help and finding a different group of people that you know that your knowledge and your experience can serve because I feel like that just drives it home so much more for you. And again, total game changer experience. So that is basically where I am now. The gym has been a hope and dream of mine for years and I've been putting the pieces together to really have a gym that's focused on the same thing and the same vibe that my coaching and that my recovery is based off of and it's not an eating disorder quote-unquote eating disorder gym I am obviously 
arms wide open to anyone that feels like they're struggling or is going through recovery, but I do want it to be a place where anyone can come and just heal, whether you had like a bad day or failed a test or had a tough breakup or you're anxious or stressed or just something that you want to shake or you're having a great day and just want to keep the great vibes flowing. I want it to be a space that you can go and recharge and get an awesome workout in and feel happier and healthier when you're leaving than when you came in. So that is my story. So, so excited to be able to talk to you about it. And what I've learned about myself from sharing my story is how important it is to take less control over everything. I'm type A perfectionist F and I'm just like always trying to go, 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 push, 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 force, 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 everything from school to relationships to business. I'm just always all in. And while that can be awesome and great and empowering and fun and really gets things moving quickly, it also isn't always sustainable. And it's also not always good for me. And it's okay to take time to yourself and it's okay to relax and have a freaking Twinkie and go out with your friends and get margaritas and live your life. Because I truly believe that no diet is worth choosing if it's not flexible and sustainable and enjoyable. And I have found that balance in all things fitness and all things nutrition, all things just life in general. It's crazy how much everything carries over and it has been an incredible find that I hope that anyone listening is taking in and really applying to their own life because if something is causing you anxiety and stress, something isn't right. There is something that can be adjusted. There is something that can be released. There is something that the pressure can be turned off and you can be happier and empowered around this. So that brings me into what my biggest dream is. And that really is to share that message with everyone that walks through the doors at Clarity, which is my gym, Clarity Fitness. We're working on branding. It might be fitness. Anyway, (laughs) and really sharing that with anyone that's on my online coaching, in my one-on-ones, in my group coaching experiences, just really empowering people around literally anything that they're going through. Again, eating disorders, anxiety, depression, stress, fear, anything. I want to really help people see fitness as an outlet instead of a chore or something on their to-do list or something that they feel like they have to do and see it as a resource, whether that's going for a walk or whether that's just laying on the ground and stretching. It doesn't need to be a full-blown CrossFit workout to reap the benefits of feeling better and feeling recharged and feeling amazing about everything that's going on in your life. So I really just want to continue to spread love and light and positive energy, and I believe that my gym is going to be an incredible place for that to happen. It's opening in Decatur, Georgia in 2019. So if you guys are in the area of Atlanta, I'd love to see you. And hopefully there are a thousand and one franchise locations within the next 10 years. So I am so, so excited that you listened to my story and I'm so excited to get to know everybody listening and hope that you all have an amazing day. Bye. This is Seek the Joy Podcast, the power of storytelling. Join us, share your story. 
For more information and to get involved, visit SeekTheJoyPodcast.com. This series airs the third week of every month, and make sure to join us for Seek the Joy Tuesday. Until then, thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your bravery. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for being here, and thank you for listening. Thank you.